Welcome to Without the Footnotes, not your typical Holocaust lecture, with me, your host, Esther Rini. On this week's episode, we'll be discussing why the Nazis targeted the Jews. Hi friends, and welcome to the fifth episode of Without the Footnotes, not your typical Holocaust lecture. I hope you have all had a really great week and maybe starting to get into the Christmassy vibes a bit. I know I did at the weekend, had a few mulled wines and actually made my very first Christmas cake, which, did you know, has a kilo of fruit in it. So a really dense fruit cake, um, which I now have to feed with rum um, every week or so to keep it moist for Christmas. So quite excited to see how that's going to turn out this year, doing my first Christmas, not going home to the parents. So got to go the full whack, the full shebang, Christmas cake and everything. Um, I hope you enjoyed last week's episode that I had um, the first guest actually on the podcast. This week, I also have a guest. I've also invited a guest on because we're going to be talking about why Jewish people in particular were a target for the Nazis, Hitler and the Nazis and their collaborators. And lucky me, I have a friend who actually works in a Jewish museum. So my friend Lindsay, she, me and her studied on, studied our MA together in Haifa and I don't know I always knew that I was going to be friends with her because you know sometimes when you walk in a room and you just you know who your people are and um, I feel like I really cemented our friendship when we used to have German from 8 till 12 every Sunday we used to have really long days on a Sunday Um, we'd have like four hours of German and then four hours of the final solution and so to keep her spirits up I used to always draw um, rude pictures on her work gonna leave it to your imagination of what I what I would draw and some people would well people would usually think that that's just painfully immature but it would seem that it cemented our friendship because here we are five years later um, on a podcast together talking about anti-semitism so and to be fair she did she did actually get me back when I was back in London um, after we'd finished the course on Valentine's Day, I think it was Valentine's Day, I received this box in the post at work and it's a box of said rude things, like gummies, like so like Haribo. So she just gets me. So yeah, so Lindsay works at the Museum of the Jewish People in Tel Aviv and she's actually the director of English programming at the museum so I've just invited her onto the podcast to kind of share her expertise and just have a little chat about the topic with me at the end of the episode I will actually tell you more about um, the museum and give you some links so you can go and check it out if you're curious about it so without further ado let's just crack on with the episode So, Linz, as our resident expert this week, um, just want to know a little bit about why the Jews in particular were a target at this time. 
Sure. So first of all, thank you for having me on. Huge fan of the podcast. And I'm very excited to talk about this topic. So it is quite a fascinating question, right? That you've posed in this episode. Why the Jews? And why the Jews out of all the other groups of people in Europe were targeted so heavily by uh, by the Nazis and their accomplices. So I think it's Pretty important to to come up uh, to say three things in the beginning that I wanted to that I wanted to remind myself and to share with everybody else here. First of all, as we're going through, we'll be saying some kind of generalizations like the Jews did this and Germans did this, and I think it makes it a little bit easier for argument's sake, just for the sake of time. But we know we all have to keep in uh, keep in mind that generalizations are generally not true. Mm-hmm. Um, usually when you have large groups of people, there's lots of different viewpoints and stories and, and ideas there, but just keep that in mind uh, when we're going through. Um, yeah, not everybody was a Nazi or believed in the ideology. Exactly. And not all Jews had black hats and little curls, uh, side curls um, and went to a synagogue every day. Some yeah. did, some didn't. Same thing, uh, same thing with Germans as well. Um, the second thing I want to say is that while this episode is really focused largely on why the Jews because we know that 6 million Jews were murdered, 6 million Jews from Europe were murdered. Um, it's also important for us all to remember that 6 million non-Jews were also murdered by the Nazis and their accomplices, such as ethnic Poles, Roma and Sinti, LGBTQ, uh, physically and mentally handicapped and other groups like this. Yeah, so actually in a couple of episodes time, I'm not sure, wait one second. Um, uh, on our penultimate episode, I'll be covering like who what, who the other victims of the Nazi regime were. So we will get to that um, in a few episodes time. Uh, but yeah, just to like fully understand the Holocaust, like I've, I said, I think in the in the first episode that how my understanding of the Holocaust is a genocide perpetrated against Jewish people. But that's not to say that there wasn't other victims of the regime. Absolutely. And then the third thing I wanted to say, and I think that kind of takes us into the topic, is that when we're looking at this group of people, when we're looking at this massive, massive atrocity, the murders of six million, the intentional murders of six million people, a lot of us tend to think that, well, the Nazis and their accomplices, like the Einsatzgruppen, like these mobile killing squads that you spoke about in an earlier episode, Mm -hmm. and the people who turned in their neighbors, they were crazy, or they were monsters, or they're animals, they were really, really terrible people that did these things. And I think that's almost a cop-out by allowing people to say, well, Hitler, he was just a crazy madman. Most of the people who carried out these murders um, and spread so much destruction across Europe and other parts of the world were quote-unquote regular people. They went home at the end of the day to their families. They were normal human beings who led normal lives. And I think with that being said, we have to take a little bit of a, a step back and get into their minds, get into the minds of, again, the Nazis and their accomplices, and try to understand how they could justify or how they thought this was right to exterminate so many millions of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I think when we're looking at this, you know, what what's pretty interesting is is anti-Semitism or this anti-Judaism did not start in 1933, did not start when Hitler was elected, uh, excuse me, appointed chancellor of Nazi Germany. It didn't start when Mein Kampf was published his uh, anti-Semitic and, and pretty uh, horrible uh, statements against other groups of people in Mein Kampf, they were not his own. He didn't invent them. A lot of these anti-Semitic ideas had been around for centuries, if not millennia. And 
when we think about how six million people could have been murdered, we have to understand that this kind of hatred happened on a fertile ground. It happened in a place that people already understood the ideas of anti-Semitism. And I want to show you or talk about, not really show. Yeah, <laughs> there's no visuals. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no video. Um, talk about three, three different ways or three different uh, pathways of anti-Semitism that existed before the Nazis and show how they capitalized on those feelings, capitalize on the hatred and increase it amongst, uh, amongst their followers. So one, uh, one of those kind of directions or, or pathways is anti-Semitism stemming from the church. Now we know that the church was one of the most dominant powers, if not the most dominant power in, in Europe for, for centuries, uh, for around a thousand years. Um, and again, when I'm saying the church, or when I'm saying Christians, I don't, this is not at all to demonize all uh, members of the church or all Christians or anything like that. I'm talking about yeah. the institution mm-hmm. and, and the, the ideas that they spread. Um, so the church had spread ideas that Jews were responsible for the murder of Jesus. I'm sure many of us have heard this idea before. Um, they spread these ideas in an increasingly Christian Europe. We're talking centuries before the Nazis took over. Um, they saw that, uh, they said that Jews and their history of misfortunes were proof as to what happens to a person if they refuse to accept Jesus, right? Here's proof, this group of people, look how miserable and suffering they are. This is proof of what happens if, if Jesus is not into your life. And so Jews were kind of like this necessary part of society to prove how bad things could be. Um, and when you have a lot of these images also painted in uh, Christian spaces or, or coming with, with uh, texts, Jews are often portrayed as some kind of devilish, devilish character. There's, uh, they have long tails, they look kind of like demonic, they have horns. Again, we might have all heard the stereotype that Jews have horns. Spoiler alert, it's not true. <laughs> but this is when it, where some of these ideas came up is that Jews were, were just like the devil. Well, yeah, I definitely also remember growing up and like watching cartoons and I don't know, like if you, if you ever saw like the bad guy and they would have like all these kind of stereotypical tropes of... Yeah. Oh, that's awful. But like, somehow you recognize that they were Jewish. And but like what you're like, exactly, you recognize that they are the quote unquote bad guy that the person that you don't want around you. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we're unpacking a lot today. (laughs) Um, um, So one of the other uh, ideas is that um, Jews use the blood of Christian children to make ritual foods such as matzah. Again, not true, not true whatsoever, but it was this idea that was that had come up. So basically, Jews in uh, this anti-Semitism coming from the church, Jews are bad. They exist in our society to prove what bad can happen. And they're also here to corrupt us. And that's what uh, the Nazis really capitalized on. Mm-hmm. There's lots of stereotypes against Jews in uh, during Nazi Germany. Um, one of at least for me, one of the more fascinating and curious ones is the stereotype that Jews, specifically Jewish men, uh, were sexually deviant and would corrupt innocent non-Jewish women. Mm-hmm. If anybody's a big film buff, I recommend you check out the movie The Rothschilds. Um, you can probably find it somewhere online if you speak German or with English subtitles. But basically, the Rothschilds are this like storied Jewish family in Europe. And of course, won't give away the the plot of the film, but there's a lot of corruption against these innocent, pure Aryan women. Right. I think um, you probably it's probably on YouTube. It's got to be. It's quite. It's YouTube's old, got right? everything. Yeah. <laughs> YouTube's got everything. 
Um, and these are, it's this, uh, this movie for anybody uh, listening from the United States or who's familiar with, uh, with American history and knows the 1915 movie, The Birth of a Nation, um, we see a similar imagery used against African-American men in that film of corrupting these pure kind of angelic women. Um, the next uh, kind of way or you know, pathway that Nazis used history's old anti-Semitism in their favor was this idea that Jews were foreigners or a fifth column and had some kind of dual loyalty, no matter where they were living, whether they were living in France, they were living in Belgium, in Russia, in Germany, Poland, wherever that might be, they could never fully be part of a society because they always had some underlying loyalty to an outside group. Right, but that, that was that loyalty like to themselves? In, in the ideology, yes. Yeah. And, and the third point kind of explains it a bit more, but really, yeah, exactly. This loyalty to other international Jews. And mm. later in the 19, uh, in the early 20th century, as the, the British made it of Palestine, the starts to become more and more of a destination place for Jews around the world, building up the first issue here in what would become the state of Israel in 1948 that also proves it to them. They're saying, look, you have this outside country that you really care about, They're, you're connected to, proof that you're not completely loyal to Germany or Poland or wherever right. that is. Mm-hmm. And I think also when, Esther, in, in previous episodes, you talked about these 10 stages of genocide, the idea of making somebody the other is really clear here. Yeah. Um, we see this again before the Nazis took over. Um, in different parts of Europe, we have the, the very famous... Um, Dreyfus Affair, which was in 1894, which is this political scandal in France. You had a French artillery officer, Captain Alfred Dreyfus, who was, uh, he himself was Jewish, but he and his family had been in France for generations. He was accused and later convicted of treason with very, very little little evidence. It was Mm -hmm. clear to everybody that Captain Dreyfus, with a very recognizable uh, Jewish last name, was being accused of not being loyal to the, uh, the French army because he was Jewish and therefore Jews cannot be loyal. Um, and that was pretty, that was, uh, I think, a really big tor- turning point for a lot of Jews in in a more modernizing Europe. Yeah, because uh, there was a shift, wasn't there, at the end of that century where stuff, stuff, <laughs> like, but like understanding of the world, like shifted from um, from like religion more into like science based understanding a hundred percent a hundred percent this what you're talking about is this shift from using what his, uh, a lot of historians call going from anti-judaism to mm. anti-semitism right anti-judaism right. is judaism is just a religion that's something that you can leave or join whenever you would like mm-hmm. right think about the spanish inquisition what was the point is to convert jews into christianity mm-hmm. so this idea that you could somehow get out of this club Um, And then what you're saying is, uh, right, end of the 19th century, going into the 20th century, this idea going into the, we'll talk about in just a second, but this idea that Judaism is more of a race, it's more of a blood, it's more of a people. Yeah. And it's therefore something that you can't just leave, you can't just get out of it. Yeah, because it's just innately in your blood anyway. Exactly. You are type A blood, you are type B blood, that's something you can't ever change, just like you can't change um, what your race is or, or what your people are. Mm-hmm. So, so we've got all of that. And then we're moving forward again, thinking about Jews as the outsiders. We have, um, 1918 signing of the Versailles, uh, treaty. 
ending World War I, a war that for many Germans, many German soldiers and citizens alike, they were absolutely convinced that they were going to win this war. There was no way they were not going to win. Very, mm -hmm. very few battles actually happened in Germany itself. And then you have in 1918, signing of the Versailles Treaty, and then the beginning of the Weimar Republic. And basically the Versailles Treaty was incredibly detrimental for, for the German nation at the time. I mean, we have, like you spoke about in earlier episodes, this, this massive amount of reparations that German, Germany had to pay to other countries. Yeah. Uh, completely, completely destroyed German morale. And so there were rumors, everybody thought, well, how could this have happened? How could we have such a defeat? What could have happened? And the consensus was there must be some infiltrators. There must be somebody within our society even Germans who are stabbing us in the back, right? Like we hear this all the time, the idea mm -hmm. of stabbing in the back, who could it be? And then we look to the Weimar Republic where relative to the population of Germany, there were a large percentage of Jewish leaders in the Weimar Republic. So must be Jews, right? They're infiltrating society. They're learning how to speak German. They speak perfect German. They look just like what, uh, one of us, mm -hmm. must be them. Now keep in mind, Jews served in Germany during World War, uh, during, uh, World War I. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that again is the idea that they cannot be part of society, and this Nazis really enhance and and, and showcase in a lot of their different. Uh, um, losing my train of thought a little bit here. That's fine. <laughs> Take your time. Um, they lose. Uh, they use this idea in a lot of their propaganda, like in their films and the books that they share. Jews are slightly outside. There's something different about that. Yeah. 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 And then the third pathway here with we're talking about this anti-Semitism is for me personally, the most fascinating one of them, because if you look at it kind of from the outside, it seems almost like a compliment. It's there's this idea of an international Jewish conspiracy that Jews all over the world have connections with one another. Mm -hmm. They're not really loyal to this country, but there's some international conspiracy that they all gather together. I don't know where or where this meeting happens. Mm. We'd love to be a part of it. <laughs> but that they gather together in order to devise a plan to corrupt society. I find this, this so strange. So strange. It's, it's really quite bizarre, but it, 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 once we understand it, I think, and it's still something that, you know, I'm very much trying to understand. And I think a lot of us are, right? Like in the field, trying to understand how this makes sense. Yeah. It explains things a little bit more. I mean, I think we have Jews in, living in different countries throughout Europe. They spoke to each other in, they spoke German, Polish, French, Spanish, all these different languages. Mm -hmm. But many of them also spoke specifically Jewish languages, such as Yiddish, which is a language for Eastern European Jews, mm -hmm. or Ladino, a language for Southern and Western European Jews. Um, and they had these like secret codes that they would speak in. So I used to work at a museum in Poland, the, the Poland Museum, and my favorite artifact in the entire museum mm. was an original copy of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Um, it was like quite amazing. So yeah. uh, it's this pamphlet that was published first in Russian in 1903. And it's like almost this, it's a plan. It's like a blueprint for these plans that Jews have to take over the world, explaining exactly how to do it. Here's what they're thinking. Here's how they're going to go about it. Everybody should be warned. Here's what you're going to do. Wait, and the imagery of that, I always isn't it like a bit, well, it's a portrayal of like a Jewish man with like his hands around the globe. Exactly. But he looks really evil. And you know, that always reminds me of cartoons that I watched when I was younger. That's what I mean. Like when I said earlier that 
somehow like all of these tropes kind of come into like popular culture and it's only when you you realize it you recognize that you're being kind of fed this like anti-semitic yeah like stereotype basically right like it, you it's kind of the thing where you watch uh, like uh, like you're saying like cartoons or disney movies but as an adult mm. disney movies from from decades ago and you realize wait a second that was a little yeah mm. like fagin <laughs> in oliver problematic yeah. <laughs> slightly just slightly um that could be like a four-hour podcast in and of itself um so so exactly right if we have in our minds this image that we might have seen at a holocaust museum or we've seen in cartoons or something this like very stereotypical looking jewish man with a very elongated nose and kind of pale with dark hair grabbing uh the earth with his long claws and there's blood coming out and this idea that he's controlling it, that he's using it just as, as a toy that he wants to manipulate. Yeah. Okay, so so that's coming up. I mean, it's uh, it was instantly popular. It was instantly uh, famous. It was translated into languages all around the world. Henry Ford also, who was a noted anti-Semite, but also you might be familiar with his last name, the founder of the Ford uh, Automobile Company, mm-hmm. also funded the printing of a half a million copies of this for distribution in the United States, right? So we're not just talking about Europe here. Oh my gosh. Okay. I didn't know that. It's most people, you wouldn't know it, right? Because you think Ford, okay, this guy who made cars, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we've got this idea, this again, this international conspiracy where Jews are, are going to manipulate the earth. And then here we're coming up to 1939, fast forward to the, to the timeline that we're talking about. During a speech at the Reichstag um, on January 30th, 1939, Adolf Hitler predicted um, this kind of overtake of of society by Jews. And now I'm going to read a translation of like two sentences of it, right? Of course, he said it in German. Yeah. Um, (laughs) My German is not nearly as good as it, uh, probably not nearly as good as yours, but (laughs) reading it it in English, um, he says... If international finance jury inside and outside of Europe should succeed in plunging the nations once more into a world war, the result will not be the Bolshevization of, an, of the earth and therefore the victory of Jewry, but the annihilation of the Jewish race in Europe. So what is he saying here? Okay, let's, like, let's take it apart. Well, it sounds- just, just to know that that is probably the, mo- like, the most infamous line that he said about a potential genocide, basically. Right. Here he's saying 1939. It's eight months before the war even starts. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's 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 very, very prophetic. But he's using all of these kind of like tag words or these dog whistles, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's taking international finance jury, which you could maybe interpret as capitalism, right? Jews who are capitalists and own these big banks and, and own these big factories and, and controlling the money market. You have that. And on the other side, you have Jews talking about Bolshevization, we can interpret that as communism, socialism, these leftist movements. So we have capitalism and communism, two economic uh, theories that do not match, that do not synchronize with one another, mm-hmm. but somehow are both controlled by Jews. Yeah, It's worth it to note that Karl Marx and, Marx and Engel, who wrote the Communist Manifesto, were not religious, but were born into Jewish families. So that I think is one of the stems of it. Okay, He says, look, these are two sides that are catastrophic and what Jews are going to do is they're going to throw this chaos into the world and see what happens they are going to plunge us into another world war it's their fault right all right but 
did mention last week that it was Hitler that and his army that walked into Poland. So <laughs> pretty sure exactly. that's what started it. Right. Pretty willingly. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. So, I mean, he's using this. He's saying, listen, we don't want to do it, but if you make us, that's what we're going to have to do. So what are you saying, right? Basically, this ideology going up to relations with the Jews, um, how Nazi, the Nazis and, and their accomplishments related to Jews, they're saying, listen, we're just trying to live here, live our peaceful, pure German lives here in Germany, here in the fatherland. We love our country. We love our history. We love everything about it. We love our culture. We want a better, cleaner world for ourselves, our children. And what you spoke about last time is this thousand year Reich, which thank God did not last a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, we, all we want is just more Lebensraum. We want more living space for our, our, our gen- the next generations to come. We just want a better world for them. However, we can't have a perfect world yet. We ourselves are inherently perfect people. We're inherently pure Aryans. But we first of all have to cleanse our country and the other countries that we willingly invade mm-hmm. um, of these undesirables, these like leeches or rats or cancers in society, the same way that you would call an exterminator to come to your house, right? We're doing this for the benefit of society. We now uh, have to figure out a way to get these undesirables, meaning Jews and other groups of people, out. Yeah to like cleanse it's like when I spoke last week about like the eugenics and like how part of Nazi like anti-semitism was racial and like um really racializing Jews and seeing them as like impure and then we have like in 1935 the Nuremberg laws whereby um they, they then make this like racial ideology like against Jewish people, like they institutionalize, institutionalize it, I can't say that word, and then make it lawful to like persecute and discriminate against Jewish people. So it was, wait, if you had, even if you didn't I'd even identify as Jewish, if, you, if one of your grandparents was Jewish, you then became classified. So we get this like kind of bloodline coming through so now it's like it's in it's in your blood even if I don't know your grandparents converted to Christianity and you've never even identified in any way right as Jewish or even knew that you were Jewish you're now in Germany you're now legally classified as a Jewish person and then you have certain rights taken away um for instance you weren't allowed to marry someone of pure like German blood you weren't allowed to have like sexual relations or, um, oh, you were denied citizenship as well, which is huge if we think about how, um, if you're actually taking someone's rights away and that's being made legal, how vulnerable that person then becomes. If you don't have the protection of a state, like you're not a citizen, you're so vulnerable. And then you can start to see how like, why that's such an important stage of genocide like slowly pushing people outside of protection. Do you know what I mean? And then the state, because yeah. it's legal, can then start to do kind of whatever they want according to their own ideology. Exactly. And like you're saying, I mean, it's those groups of people can be then classified or at least referred to as enemies of the state, as people of, who are not citizens who are in somebody else's mind, right? Mm-hmm. Not in actuality but they think they're trying to harm the benefit of the country, which... Yeah, and then you can quite you can quite logically see how steps can be made towards, you know, maybe an ethnic cleansing to start with, but how steps can be made towards extermination. 
because Absolutely. this is this is something dirty that needs to be like like to cleanse the like German body you know yeah God. yeah they use that a lot they 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 use it a lot and it's this idea of this body this like exactly this kind of these metaphors for for the physical parts of the body but it's mm. also what you're saying is it's it doesn't start with building Auschwitz and then sending shipping off loads of people there and saying that's it I mean we're talking about slowly but very surely stripping away all of these rights and all these identifying markers from an individual mm. and lumping them into a group of people they are that are either Jews or Roma or Poles or something like that mm-hmm. it's it's a process but if you have something like this they had centuries um centuries of hatred to base it on yeah it's really interesting to see how that's kind of evolved because I think when we look at the Holocaust or we think about it, a lot of people are just like, whoa, like the Nazis were the ones that really like went for it. You know what, do you know what I mean? But actually like the, these kind of like feelings, even if they weren't racialized, this kind of ostracization, I can't say that word either. It's a hard one. I don't know the word <gasps> Can either. you say it? Ostracization? Yeah, is, <laughs> has always existed. Yeah. They just the fear of the other. Yeah. They just, you know, mixed it in with some like real extreme ideology. Real extreme. Mm-hmm. Real extreme. I mean, that what they mix it in with is, is like you were speaking about, like this eugenics movement that when I was looking it up, I realized also it's not something that was invented in Germany. It was popularized in the UK and the USA um, in the early 20th century. And they like promoted it and they basically promoted selective breeding and sterilization. It's the same thing that we might think about when we're look, going to look for like a dog breeder or something like that, or mm-hmm. like a horse breeder or something like that. They like kind of selected these, what they thought were the best characteristics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then part of the fear that they had in a lot of their propaganda, these it's Nazi propaganda that of course was translated into different languages and spread as they went throughout Europe um, is that, Jews were increasing, what they saw, Jews were increasingly able to pass as non-Jewish European citizens. And that was quite scary. Yeah, they, that they couldn't like, be, they didn't stand out enough to be obvious. So it's more exactly. of a threat because it could be anybody. Exactly. And right, it's it's more of a threat. And there's this idea that like Jews were almost... It's, it's kind of a strange term to use, but like shapeshifters and we're able to go from place to place without you realizing that they were not part of society. Almost in the same way, they use a lot of imagery of rats going throughout sewers. You see this a lot in, in these films and- um, uh, A lot in um, and, propaganda, yeah, propaganda films. Yeah, All of these propaganda films, which are fast, horrible, but fascinating to see like, how would you spread this, this type of ideology? Mm-hmm. And they would show rats always traveling in the middle of the night through alleyways in the back of houses and that kind of shifty um, characteristic they apply to these other groups of people. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, listen, there, there's, a lot to, there's a lot to be thought about here. There's a lot of, of uh, materials, but, um, but- I think we've got like quite a good overview of how we kind of, we get from anti-Semitism that existed through to like how then the Nazis or Hitler then understood it and used it and then how that was kind of perpetuated into a, like a kind yeah. of new form of anti-Semitism. 
Okay, cool. So I think we'll end like the main bulk of it there. But what I do like to do each week is to kind of see if there's anything in the news that kind of relates to the topic that we're talking about. So what do you know? So it's actually something really, really connected to what we were just speaking about. A lot of these keywords and these dog whistles that happened just last month. So last month, October of 2020, before the US election, Donald Trump was on the campaign trail. And when he was speaking with a group in Pennsylvania, he said that then uh, uh, (laughs) presidential candidate uh, Joe Biden, now president-elect Joe Biden, he said that he was a, quote, servant of the globalists, lobbyists, wealthy donors, and Washington vultures who got rich bleeding America dry, unquote. So it's pretty clear here. We have these taglines that we've been listening to that have happened decades ago and centuries ago about Jews being international conspirators. He doesn't actually say Jews, but he very much alludes to it. Um, These people being wealthy and also these people who are really compared to to a not nice animal, like a vulture or even a leech that's uh, that are kind of like feeding off the, the national population. So even though he doesn't say Jews there, I think it's important that we hear these these um, these key terms and these dog whistles and know what he's alluding to. Yeah, so like even if he, he isn't saying it outright, that's the kind of, um, what's the word? That's why anti-Semitism is so difficult, right? Because it can be so subtle. It's right, exactly. He's not. He there's no way he could say Jews themselves, but I think for people who do hear the message and are on that like kind of far right uh, leaning uh, spectrum, they would hear that and say, mm-hmm. "Oh, I understand exactly who you're talking about." Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, I just want to say a huge thank you for coming on the podcast today. And uh, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me, even for like a kind of upsetting or possibly depressing uh, subject. This is actually really fun. So thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Well, I'm going to have you back in a few episodes time. So until then. Awesome. So that's pretty much it for this week as Lindsay's already done our in the news section. I'm just going to speak a little bit about her um, museum just so that you know where to look it up and if you're curious about it. So they actually have an app that you can download just in your app store and it's um, called the BH Museum. Uh, They also have a website and that's bh.org.il. As I said, it's the Museum of the Jewish People at Beit Hatfuzot in Tel Aviv, that's spelled B-E-I-T-H-A-T-F-U-T-S-O-T. And the museum basically tells the unique and ongoing um, story of the Jewish people, and they have a core ex- exhibition that they're actually renewing at the moment, that um, when it reopens, it will make the museum actually the largest and most inclusive Jewish museum in the world. So pretty big deal so what you can do is you can either go on their website that um, go on their website and check out um the, the kind of work they're doing they have loads of cool like projects going on or on their app as well if you happen to be in tel aviv and you know i guess when all this corona stuff is over um go check them out it's at the university and i would highly recommend it i did go and visit it last year i think it was or the beginning of this year 
and um, yeah, they've just got some really, really great exhibitions and um, very interactive and I really enjoyed it. So yeah, I would recommend and I think that's all I have to say about that. Thanks for joining me for another episode. Uh, now I am going to go and tend to my Christmas cake and give it its first drink. And yeah, I'll catch you next time. Ciao.